This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. All right, welcome back. This is Mike Smith in for Simi with the Boxing Day edition of the show. And Boxing Day, of course, traditionally the day the bargain hunters get out there, hit the malls, fight the crowds to get the deals that are on offer today. So here's your hot question today. Today it is Boxing Day. Will you be bargain hunting today? Would you say, yes, absolutely, I'm hitting the stores today? Would you say, yes, but I'm going to be shopping online? Or would you say, no way, I'm still full of turkey and cranberry sauce and stuffing and gravy and everything else I stuffed myself with yesterday? I'm just too bushed. I'm, I'm whacked. I'm beat. There's no way I'm shopping today. At CKNW on Twitter is where you'll find the hot question today. At CKNW, uh, give me a follow while you are there, please. I'll retweet the hot question, too. At Mike Smith News on Twitter, S-M-Y-T-H, at Mike Smith News on Twitter. You'll find it there as well. Phone me on the buzz line and tell me if you are bargain hunting today, if you are Boxing Day shopping. Also, if you are out there, if you're at the malls, you're in your car fighting traffic or whatever, Phone me on the buzz line, too, and let me know what it's like out there. 604-331-BUZZ is the number to call. 604-331-2899. Oh, yeah, you got to have the eye of the tiger. Get out there to get those best deals. I wonder if Boxing Day is still a big deal. I remember when I was younger, it was a thing for sure for me. I mean, I remember going to stores and trying to get deals and friends and stuff and I don't know if it's still such a, a big thing these days, especially with people shopping online as well. And also the Black Friday phenomenon, which started in the States and has kind of migrated north to Canada as well. Maybe people shopping a lot on that day as well. But it, it is Boxing Day today. A lot of deals, a lot of sales out there. So let's talk about that now with a great guest and analyst for you, Barry Choi. He's a personal finance expert. You can find his stuff in Money Sense magazine and lots of other uh, great publications and websites. Barry, thanks a lot for coming on. Hey, Barry. Yep. Thanks a lot for coming on. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. Hey, is this? Um, let's talk about some Boxing Day tips for people like if people are thinking like oh i really want to try and get a good deal today i know you recommend being <laughs> like you know do your research right like know exactly the item you want to get and go and get that item and don't be distracted that's right i want to backtrack a little bit just to follow up with what you were saying it's like it's true uh in the whole black friday phenomenon i think is the best time to get deals uh especially for christmas but if you've missed it boxing is a great deal too so, like you said, you got to make a list. It's kind of like Christmas. You got to make a Boxing Day list of the things you want to get. And the reason you want to do this is because, you know, like you, when I was younger, I would go out to the stores and I would see a sale and I would just buy it because it was on sale. And then I'd get home and I would never use it or I just didn't need it. Um, so, so Boxing Day can be a great time to save money, but at the same time, it's a great time to spend money that maybe you didn't need to spend. I remember when the Black Friday thing was first ramping up in the United States, and on our side of the border, we were all like, oh, this is strange. The Americans like to shop on this Black Friday thing. But then it started to kind of catch on here. Like, how was how was Black Friday this year? Is it sort of ramping up in Canada? I think Black Friday for the last five years it has just been insane. Like, like a, a lot of Canadian retailers, uh, like, it's just a marketing employee. We, we all know that, right? 
Uh, if the retailers can put those sales on early, get people to start spending early, uh, because, you know, it happens at the November, end of November. There's more than a month before Christmas, usually about five weeks. This year is a little bit later. Um, but it gets, it's, it's kind of like the unofficial start to the Christmas spending or the holiday spending season. Uh, and like, like we were saying, there's so many good deals available at that time. And now currently with Boxing Day, there's no reason why you wouldn't want to take advantage of it unless you like paying for full price for things. <laughs> right, yeah, okay. Someone out there might want to feel that way, but I doubt it. You know, here's another thing. If you bought a Christmas gift for someone, I, I know a lot of stores will say, look, if, if this item goes on sale, if you come back to the store on Boxing Day, we'll honor the, we'll honor the Boxing Day price for you and give you like a partial refund on what you bought. And this just happened to me because we bought my, my oldest son a new cell phone for Christmas. He was very happy about it. The guy we bought it from said to me at the counter, he said, this phone might go on sale on Boxing Day, so I advise you to come back here on Boxing Day, and if it is on sale, we'll give you the price difference. And that's exactly what happened. I got a text message from my wife this morning saying they knocked 90 bucks off the price for us. So, yeah, that's know. amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some retailers are smart like that. Like, of course, the tricky thing is sometimes it depends on their policy, right? Not yeah. everyone will do that. Some retailers are better. And some retailers, I don't know if this is so, but I remember when I was younger, they wouldn't even accept refunds or exchanges until January second, um, just because there was so much traffic in the doors. Um, but you know, I, I think retailers are smart in the sense that they just want a loyal customer. If they tell you up front, Hey, you know what? It might go on sale. If it does come back, uh, I'm sure you're a happy customer. Your son will oh, yeah. probably be a, be a little bit loyal. Like, hey, you know what? They did me a solid and I'm not going to forget that. They could have just charged me full price and let it be, but they, they did me a solid. Oh, it's a, it's a good thing for sure. Now you also mentioned the danger of like the impulse buy, right? So if you go in blind, <laughs> you see these sales, Maybe you get distracted. And, yeah, yeah. And, so, so, so the trick is, like, in the late 90s, I used to work at a computer, one of those big box stores. And we had these door crashers, and, and management would go crazy for them. And, and I'm talking about, like, power bars, right? Like, power bars that were, like, $4 off. And people would come in, and I'm not even kidding you. They would scoop the power bars. I'm like, oh, all right, well, kidding me. And we were saving $4. And did you just line up five hours to say $4 in the power bar? <laughs> <laughs> like the mentality is just nuts. And, you know, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but now with online shopping available, um, maybe, maybe like I went out earlier today just because my daughter's young and she wanted to get out. So we weren't really shopping, but it was crazy. It was like 9 a.m. We were out just walking the main street, and I didn't really see that many people out there. Yeah, I mean, we're getting some reports that maybe some of the malls, I, maybe it depends on the location or the type of sales that 100%. are on. Some seem to be busier than others. What about um, at this time of year with the Christmas rush just over, are a lot of stores kind of overstocked on their uh, inventory? I think most stores, uh, they have to overstock, right? The last yeah. thing you want to do is, you know, a week before Christmas and your store's out of inventory, right? Yeah. Um, so, so that ends up being a good thing for consumers. Today, like I was saying, I was out for that walk. I did take advantage of some Boxing Day shopping. I was, I was near a bookstore, and they're offering 70% off, off uh, Christmas cards. So I bought three boxes, right? You know what I mean? These three boxes of Christmas cards cost me less than one box had I bought it before Christmas. Um, so, so, you know, you just don't want to be that retailer that runs, runs out of things to sell, right? Imagine how bad that would be. 
Okay, what about online? You mentioned a lot of people are switching to online buying. Mm-hmm. Are there any particular uh, good deals online? Like, what about tra- booking travel deals and stuff on Boxing Day? Well, what I, like, what I like about online shopping in general is most of the time, these deals, they actually start on the 24th of December. A lot of big box stores, uh, and obviously with online shopping, you don't physically need to line up, right? Like, you don't need to line up yeah. five hours and you can get your shopping done on the 24th and then enjoy Christmas dinner. But you, you have a very good point about Travel deals. Quite often, these times, big travel companies. I, I saw WestJet has a seat sale. Uh, travel like Canard Cruises ha- has a sale right now. Um, they're basically trying to lock in, you know, sales for the new year. And if they can offer you a fifteen to twenty percent discount, um, it's good for them because they're getting that guaranteed sale, and it's good for the consumer because they're getting a sale. Right. Speaking of Barry Choi from Money Sense Magazine about Boxing Day deals, what about some of these uh, websites that seem to get a lot of a lot of hype, like red flag deals, I've heard about, and Rakuten. Mm-hmm. I've never, I've never tried these sites, but you sure hear a lot about them. Yeah, red flag deals is excellent because it's just kind of like a crowdsourced website that started off where people would just post deals. But over the years, they've got uh, deals with retailers, so basically, you can see the flyers in advance. You know, again, you know, going back to my teenage years, I used to get excited about these paper flyers, uh, Boxing Day flyers that would show up in the mail. I'd go through each of them to see what's on sale and kind of plan out my route. But now it's like you can see them all online. You can just basically say, okay, I need to go to this store online at this time. This is what's on sale. I know exactly when I'm getting it. And Rakuten is, uh, used to be called Ebates, and it's basically if you make the purchases yeah. via them, you log into them first, and it takes you to an online shopping portal, like, for example, Amazon or Apple, then you earn additional cash back. So it's like two ways to save when you think about it. Okay, is there a, a classic Boxing Day mistake that some shoppers make in buying something like like you you warned against the impulse buy, but I, the classic one is the gym membership, right? For me, it, it's always the gym membership. Uh, <laughs> and do you go to the gym by chance? Uh, I try to sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one thing I always notice when I I've been to the gym for about fifteen years in January first, guaranteed there's always so much traffic at the gym, yeah. and, and by February first, they're all gone. We used to joke and we used to call them the, the New Year noobs. You know what I mean? They, they overate. They bought that gym membership in December. They're like, New Year, new me. I'm going to work out. Yeah. And then they're gone by February. <laughs> and, and as you know, gym memberships, they charge you for the entire year up front. Oh. Or, or like you're in a contract. So it's like, no, 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 no. Don't buy that. You get your membership in, in March or April when you know you're going to start going. <laughs> Barry, some good tips and advice there and analysis. Thanks a lot for coming on. Anytime. Happy to be here. Appreciate it a lot. That's Barry Choi. He's a personal finance expert. He's uh, Money Sense Magazine. Let's check in now with Michael LeBlanc. He's the vice president of the Retail Council of Canada. Hey, Michael. Hey, how are you doing? I'm great, Michael. Thanks for taking the time. Is Boxing Day still what it's cracked up to be, or are, is it? Or is Black Friday kind of taking over? Well, Boxing Day, no question, is still a major day. When we talk to Canadians coast to coast, of them said they were going to shop on Boxing Day. Now, your point is quite uh, valid. Uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday are very popular with Canadian consumers. In fact, they told us 43% of them would shop on Black Friday. So we are seeing some movement between Black Friday and uh, and Cyber Monday and Boxing Day for sure. Okay, do, do most Canadian retailers put on a sale today? Yeah, I think most have the opportunity. It's a great tradition in Canada, and it is also, you know, anchored in this opportunity to uh, to make sure that your merchandise is clean for January, starting the new year in 2020. So it's a good opportunity for, 
for most, if not all, retailers to, uh, in, you know, they could plan for it. They, many could plan for it all year. They bring in special buys. They really push forward with, uh, you know, retail is so competitive. They really push forward with their best foot forward. And it's an opportunity to uh, move some items that maybe uh, you bought a few too many of and clear the house, clear the inventory, and get ready right. for the new retail year in 2020. Yeah, right, because I imagine a lot of retailers are pretty heavily stocked, obviously, for the Christmas season, so maybe they've got a little bit of extra inventory they want to move along, right? Yeah, that's that's often the case. That's not yeah. uh, just this year. That's traditionally been uh, the case in terms of uh, planning for boxing. You know, retailers, the art and science of retailers is trying to forecast the right amount of inventory in the right place, but tough to get that 100% correct, and uh, so Boxing Day affords a nice, the Boxing Day and Boxing Day week, because, you know, the the event does continue for most of the week. But, you know, commodities, electronics, apparel, uh, big ticket, as we would call it, appliances, kitchen appliances. You know, these are special days for those commodities, and they and they're have special deals and special offers that are brought in just for Boxing Day. So it's a, it's a whole wide gamut of, uh, of retail, both strategy and opportunity for, uh, for shoppers. Okay, what's the buzz on the street today, Michael? Are you, is this a pretty big Boxing Day this year, in your estimation? Yeah, I'm actually in a shopping mall in uh, in Toronto today. It's it's packed. Uh, it's a little hard to tell this these days because you know, ten years ago, I used to be able to walk in the malls and you'd have a pretty good assessment. Now, with so much online shopping, there's lots happening in behind the scenes. Now, that being said, 61% of Canadians said they were going to shop Boxing Day in stores, higher than Black Friday and Cyber Monday. You know, it's a holiday for most. It's a it's a cultural and it's a it's a social occasion. So, I would assess that the, you know Black Friday, Cyber Monday were good. For retailers from coast to coast generally and uh, so far boxing day looks like it's shaping up nicely as well michael as 2019 draws to a close what kind of a year have we had for retail and has, has this been a good christmas season for canadian retailers overall well i think it's been an up and down year we haven't seen a tremendous amount of growth it was a tough uh, q4 starting to q4 particularly for apparel retailers uh the, whether it's the weather the distraction of the federal election or any number of things so you know, I think we'll end this year up a couple of points uh, year over year. So uh, what we really were encouraged, though, was uh, about the week before Black Friday, consumers seemed to wake up and start shopping. And uh, so that's where we would assess Black Friday, Cyber Monday were strong. And I think the holidays, uh, you know, the month of December was strong. There were six less shopping days between Black Friday and uh, Christmas this year. You know, Black Friday moved to the 29th this year. Um, so that was six days different than the prior year so we'll see if the momentum from black friday and cyber monday maintained itself certainly uh, we expected and would assess boxing day and boxing day week to be stronger let's see how the entire month of december shake, shook out we'll know that in a couple of weeks to about a month and a half you mentioned some of the items that are certainly popular on boxing day and some of the ones that jump to mind or some of the things you mentioned like Big ticket electronics. Like if I was in the market yeah. for a TV set, which I kind of am, I, I should be in the mall yeah. right now. But you know, I'd be looking to buy a TV set today. Is maybe the best day of the year to buy it. What other sort of items, sort of are classic kind of Boxing Day deal items that people target? Well, for sure, you often see, as you said, big ticket electronics. You see yeah. home appliances like uh, kitchen stoves, those kind of things, apparel. Uh, you see a lot of different commodities, electronics, of course, a uh, wide gamut of electronics. I mean, when I look at the, the lineup here, there's lines up at the store, all kinds of different stores from apparel to electronics and lots of people carrying shopping bags. And as you said, this is a very good time 
to buy a, a big screen or whatever size television. This is a very good time to shop for those commodities today. Is, are there some other items that maybe fly under the radar a little bit? Maybe people don't realize that today might be a good day to 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 go for a deal. Like I'm thinking something like a cell phone or maybe go online for travel deals or anything like that? Well, you make a great point. And the great point is that, you know, days like today are when you got 34% of the Canadian population thinking about shopping, yeah. you know, everyone kind of takes advantage of that kind of in a, you know, the, the, the boats are all rising in days like today. So retailers, uh, you know, formats, like, as you said, airlines and all kinds of non-retail formats take advantage of the fact that Canadians are thinking about shopping uh, and they're, they've got, a, you know, probably a couple of days holidays and they're thinking about uh, what to shop for. So, yes, it's a great time to be shopping in general. Look around and, and uh, see what's available before the year uh, before the year wraps up. OK, speaking to Michael LeBlanc, he's the vice president of the Retail Council of Canada. I guess the classic Boxing Day experience is to head to the mall and fight the crowds and, and come away with that, that prize deal. But what about online? I mean, do, are more people going online for deals on Boxing Day or are more people heading to a, the stores or what, what sort of trends do you see there? Well, overall, more people, of course, are heading online in general than in years past. We see that growing at double digits for sure. Uh, when we talk to Canadians in general about holiday spending, they said they would spend 72% of their dollars in store and the balance would be online. And that's up 3% from last year. So there's no question online is big. It's interesting, though, that on Boxing Day, there's two phenomenon, right? So the opening day door crasher deals, you know, you can shop for those at midnight online across the country, no matter where you are. And keep in mind that not all retail in Canada is open on today on the 26th Atlantic Canada Oh, their stores open on the 27th, but the servers are open, right? So you can shop online. And so what I think it does is there's less, um, you know, door crashers, so to speak, 6 a.m., people lining up overnight to get the deals. I think they're doing that, but they're doing that online. And then in the day, they're coming to be together, to have the full experience. And whether it's a shopping mall or whether it's Main Street retail, it's an opportunity for everyone to get engaged and, and uh you know, to check out deals, whether it's in your local community or it's in one of these uh, big shopping malls in, in your neck of the woods on Main Street uh, in Vancouver or, or wherever you uh, decide you want to shop. Obviously, we're, we're coming to the end, Michael, of the of the biggest retail period of the year. So much activity with mm. Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Christmas shopping, Boxing Day. Once it's all over today, do a lot of retailers experience a little slump or hangover in the new, early in the new year? Well, you know, we call a holiday a marathon, not a race. Uh, it is a very busy time of the year. And, you know, Canadians in general, January, February, will slow down their shopping. They'll kind of pay off their bills from the great shopping that they did during the holiday. And retailers will take a pause and start to assess. And some commodities do pick up, actually, January, February is big for fitness equipment. Actually, January is usually kind of the biggest uh, January, February, big for fitness equipment, people yeah. uh, going after those New Year's resolutions. And it's also important for uh, storage and people get their houses in order. It's interesting uh, that people start to, you know, start the year and start to assess. So different commodities react differently for sure. In general, it's one of the uh, slower months, so to speak, of the year, but that's all right. You've had, you know, a marathon of, of intensity, uh, right. It's a good time to take a pause and take a break, uh, and uh, it's the natural ebb and flow of retail for sure. Michael, busy day for you. Thanks for taking the time. 
Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You bet. I appreciate it. Michael LeBlanc, he is the vice president of the Retail Council of Canada. Let's talk about the pub culture in the United Kingdom now. All those poor Brits standing in line to get a pint of beer. One recent study said British pub patrons spend more than two entire months of their lives standing in line to get a drink at the bar. How can we improve the situation? Answer, the world's first artificial intelligence bar. Here to talk about it now is my guest, John Wiley. He's the managing director at DataSpark. We reached him in London, England today. Hiya, John. Hello, how are you? I'm great. Thanks a lot for doing this. Okay, so how would a, an, a, an artificial intelligence bar work, and how would it get me my, my beer faster? Well, we, we spend a lot of time queuing at the bar, and we look to make that experience a little bit better and fairer for everybody. Some people, I think, enjoy the game of queuing, and some people, certainly I'm not one of them, are probably good at it. They know how to catch the eye of the bartender um, and how to skip ahead as quickly as possibly, as quickly as possible on a crowded bar. But I think most people aren't very good at the game. And what we wanted to do was use artificial intelligence to bring some fairness to it all. Um, and really what it does is looks at everyone waiting in line. So there's a, there's a simple camera behind the bar um, above a big screen that's replaying the imagery of, of what it sees. So it's, it acts like a big mirror, if you like, behind the bar. And what the camera's also doing is just looking, based on people's faces, who's been waiting longest. Um, and then on that big mirror, that magic, on that screen, um, it just superimposes a number above your head. So whoever's been waiting longest is the fine number one, and whoever's been waiting next longest is given number two, and so on. So it's a bit like a virtual queue based on the fair waiting time. Um, and then the bartender knows who to serve. And when they serve you, they swipe you from the queue, and whoever's next in line moves into number one, and everyone shifts up. Okay, so it, it uses facial recognition software then, right? Exactly. So it uses the um, facial recognition just to identify all the, all the faces of people waiting uh, to put them in an orderly queue based on who's been waiting longest. Okay, and is this, this technology is actually been in use in a bar in the United Kingdom, is that correct? Yes, we had our launch event uh, a couple of months ago, um, and now we're going to roll this out further, yeah. What's the name of the pub where it's in, in use? We use it at the, the Underdog. Um, it's by London Bridge, and it's going to be used there for selected events. The challenge that we have is a, is a legal one. In Europe, we have the, the GDPR laws, um, which means... Facial recognition uses your um, facial data, which is considered biometric data in the European courts. Right. Um, and to get around that means we must have people to consent. So right now, um, we're running it at, at, at events. So um, we had it at our event, doing some other Christmas parties. Um, but by running it at events, it means people are, you know, we know who they are. We can ask for their consent as part of the event process. Um, so to have it on any bar where people can just walk in off the street, getting consent is a bit of a barrier, and people don't want to just have to yeah. sign the form and just walk in and to get a pint. So we're looking at how to best do that consent mechanism um, so that people know what they're getting signed up for without having to read 
a page of text in order to get their pint. Um, so the, the biggest challenges aren't, te- aren't technology ones. They're legal challenges that we're working with the folks here to best solve. Okay, what about the privacy concerns, John, that is raised by something like this? I mean, we already hear people saying, ooh, this is big brother, this is uh, scary technology uh, that's going to uh, impact our lives if we allow something like this. What would you say to people who would be a little worried about going into a pub and having their photo taken and analyzed? Well, it's, it's perfectly valid, and that's one of the reasons why GDPR exists and why we're um, behaving as responsibly as we can to ensure we're um, treating people's privacy and data with security and respect. Um, so, I mean, first of all, we've designed the tool to use the least data that it needs. Um, so we don't store any facial data to disk. Um, the video stream is just analyzed in real time, frame after frame, to see is the same, have I seen the same face there? And if so, that's just what's driving the number above your head. Um, so nothing is ever stored to disk. Uh, nothing ever leaves the pub. So we're not even using the cloud. We've done this all locally, which uses some clever tech. Um, and so in, in some respects, it's more uh, secure than CCTV, which is recording pictures and images of your face to a tape or to a disk. Um, we're not storing anything to this, but we are, pro- unlike CCTV, we are processing your facial data to do a special recognition, which means we have to oblige by these additional GDPR restrictions. Um, but in terms of the actual data we store, we, as I say, we, we process just what we need. We don't store anything to disk persistently, so we delete it. Um, everything is wiped uh, when the system is shut off at the end of the, when the pub closes at the end of the day. Um, so from a data security perspective, we're very, um, happy with the level of provisioning we've put in place to, to stop nothing. And also, we don't even know this. There's no PII. Whilst we're, yes, we are processing facial um, images, we've got no idea that it's John Wiley walking into a pub um, yeah. and associate that with anything. Uh, okay. So it's, it's facial ident- recognition as opposed to identification. So what would be the, I guess the benefits of it of it are kind of obvious the way you've explained it to me, but if I were to walk into the underdog pub near the London Bridge during one of these events and I gave my consent for my photo to be taken by this system, how much quick, how much more quickly would I get my pint? So, um, I mean, if it's, if it's a busy night, we, you know, we can, this process is sped up a little bit because there's no bickering over who's next and if you... Um, you know, don't need your ID checked repeatedly, so it speeds up the process uh, fractionally. But ultimately, the, the the main time that you're waiting is because the bartender has to take time making your drink. Um, and we we solve the queuing problem, we make the queuing process fairer, more transparent, and it speeds it up a little bit. Um, but unfortunately, it doesn't help our bartenders pull pints any quicker or make a an old-fashioned cocktail any quicker. Um, maybe maybe so that can be solved by technology too if they come up with robotic bartenders. Well, that might be a different problem. But then I think that's that for me. That's where AI encroaches too much and in, into the humans' space. And actually, I think I quite like a bit of human craft and making yeah. my drink and filling my pint. I think I don't. What where I think AI and where we try to deploy AI is to take some of the the boring part out of the, the human's job um, and then allow the human to do the stuff that they excel at.
Okay, it's it's certainly interesting technology. Um, thanks very much for coming on to talk about it. You're welcome. I hope you'll be coming to a bar in Canada soon. Okay, good. Well, we'll look for you there. Thank you very much. That's John Wiley. He is the managing director at DataSpark. Let's talk about Prince Harry now and Meghan Markle and their child vacationing for over Christmas in Greater Victoria. Wow. Uh, this is a story that was broken by the Victoria Times Colonist newspaper and their fine reporter there, Louise Dixon. Let's check in with uh, Dave Obi now. He is the editor and publisher of the Victoria Times Colonist. Hi, Dave. Hi there. How are you? I'm great. Thanks a lot for coming on. This has been a big story for you guys. And when did you guys break this? Um, it was on Christmas Eve around uh, 6, uh, 6.30. We, we uh, posted the story online. Yeah, and that went viral, right? I mean, how crazy did that go online? It, 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 it took off within seconds, and uh, it's already the, the most read story um, of all the stories we've published on our website over the years. Like ever? Right, exactly, over, wow. over 27 <laughs> years. Wow, that's amazing. How did uh, you guys get the drop on that? Uh, we started hearing um, from, from different people, different people we know in the community. They, they started sending us emails saying, hey, did you know, did you know? Because you know, Harry was being seen uh, in different spots around the community. Um, and certainly when, when, you have a, when, it, when there's a Bentley being driven around Victoria with royal flags on the fenders, <laughs> that's often a clue. Yeah. And, and so as a result of that, people were, were well aware there was something going on, that, that there were some royals in town. And that sort of raised the curiosity. And, and in Victoria, people, uh, for the most part, love the royals. Right. Um, at one point yesterday, four of the top ten stories on our website were all royal-related, you know, including the Queen's message, that kind of thing. Uh, the Prince, Prince Philip out of hospital. Like, there's this huge, a huge appetite here for that kind of story. Right. And, and, even, and, you know, and they've... Uh, They've been seen at the Deep Cove Chalet, which is a very fine restaurant there in, is it Saanich? No, Sydney. Where is North Deep Saanich. Cove? North Saanich. North Saanich, yeah. yeah. North Saanich. And, and they've been at, at, at other restaurants as well. Um, you know, the Oak Bay uh, Marina, for instance, they've been there. Oh, okay. Uh, but, but we are not reporting where they're staying. We know the address where they're staying at. We're not, we're not reporting that. Um, and I, I actually, you know, I, I do respect their privacy in all of this. I think it's important right, right. to 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 sort of let people know that they're here, because then you're 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 actually not going to be so shocked if you see this, you know, the Bentley roll past that kind of thing. Okay, I think did you guys much more, much more, you know, acceptable if if you know they're they're here? It's not a surprise to you then. Yeah, I think that's a wise decision not to report where they're staying. I certainly agree with that. And I, I've seen some backlash as well from people who say, leave them alone. Why are you reporting on this? Have you guys got any, that kind of, kind of criticism? Yeah, we, we've had, um, we've had that. We've certainly had that. And I've been keeping sort of track of, of the comments just, just out of curiosity. And I responded just to some of them in a column in the paper today. Yeah. Um, just for the record, you know, they, they say, you know, some people are saying nobody cares, et cetera, et cetera, leave them alone. They deserve their privacy, et cetera. Um, for every, for every, uh, comment, negative comment we've had, um, our story on the Royals has been read more than 1000 times. Like that's, that's right. the gap yeah. between, between the two sides on this. Right. I can, I can certainly see how, yeah. I mean, a lot of people say leave them alone. On the other hand, people are interested as well. Um, have a lot of other media matched this? I mean, have any kind of British British press shown up or paparazzi shown up in town? To your knowledge, I'm not aware of them showing up. I, I know they've picked up um, bits and pieces of the story, and it's been it's been picked up by other papers across Canada. Um, we all knew that they were in Canada, and, and, and there was great speculation where they would be. 
so the, the sort of the sort of you know completing the rest of the story. And, and frankly, if you're going to come to you're going to spend Christmas in in, in Canada, you'd, you'd 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 be looking at I think Victoria, Vancouver, or Whistler type of thing. Now that's that's yeah. logical spots. So it's not a huge surprise that they're here. Okay, I think it's very cool that they've uh, they've chosen Victoria to take a little Christmas break. And here's something that occurred to me, Dave, for your thoughts. Victoria right now is in the running to host the 2022 Invictus Games, which I think is an awesome event for right. wounded soldiers. And Prince Harry is the official patron of the Invictus Games, and I think he's done a fantastic job with, with this event. I wonder what you think about the fact that he's he's chosen here to take a little vacation. If is that a good sign for Victoria as maybe the winning bid for the Invictus Games, which is the winning the winning city, is going to be announced here in just a couple of weeks? Right. I, I'm 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 hoping it's a good sign. I don't know exactly. Like I, I know that he he's been involved with the Invictus Games right from the start. I don't know exactly how much actual sort of say he has on on, on where things are are. are where, where the games will go, yeah. whether he's he's only a figurehead at this point or whether he's a decision maker. If he is a decision maker, I think it's an, an excellent uh, um, opportunity for us to show off the city and, and and he can see what it's like. He he can actually very very discreetly check out some of the uh, some of the locations. I know yeah. he's six one. He's got red hair, but if he puts a toque on, he'll he'll blend right in. Not a problem there. <laughs> you know, he, he he can check out some of the some of the spots very very carefully and um, see what it's like. Um, I think he'll also get a sense of what the city is like because you go back to the Commonwealth Games back in 1994. We have a, have an amazing, amazing army of volunteers here, and yeah. and they're just ready and willing to crank up again. And also the Invictus Games, of course, there's a huge retired military component in Victoria, and yeah. they would be 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 front and center to help out with those games. So I think it's a natural in that way. The biggest problems that we have here, of course, are um, the transportation issues. Yeah. And it's getting tougher and tougher. Uh, to get around in, within Greater Victoria, which is not a problem if you're if you're if you're in a Bentley with royal flags on it, but you know for right. the rest of us it could be a problem. I think that Victoria's got a heck of a shot to to win this event. Anyway, I mean we're up against it's two cities in the running. It's Victoria and Dusseldorf, Germany, and I guess the upside for Dusseldorf I've read is they've got a a good airport and they're strategically located and stuff. But Victoria, I mean, we got a good airport in Victoria, and there's a lot of that sort of legacy facilities, like you mentioned, from the Commonwealth Games. That's right. And, and, and you know, I, I, there are arguments in favor of Dusseldorf, and, and, you know, I've been there recently. Their, their airport is nice and modern and so on, and it's also really, really quick and easy. It's within, like, a two-hour flight of, um, of how many countries compared to us? We're, we're within a two-hour flight of two countries, Canada and the U.S., um, so, so Dusseldorf is, is a much better shot at it because of that. Yeah. But I think that in terms of just the the the, the vast army of volunteers, the enthusiasm for the, for the games here, um, the the fact that many of the Canadian teams train in Victoria, we have the facilities, we have the background okay. here. I think I okay. think it's it's all a good sign. Dave, thanks very much for coming on. Thank you. You bet. I appreciate it. Dave Obi, he is the editor and publisher of the Victoria Times columnist. Uh, they broke that story there that uh, Prince Harry and his wife Meghan Markle are spending the Christ their Christmas vacation in Victoria. And as you heard him say there, it's been the biggest story ever published online by the newspaper, the Victoria Times Colonist. Let's talk about those earthquakes that have been striking off our coast, off of Vancouver Island. There have been nine offshore quakes 
over a few days off Vancouver Island, including a couple on Christmas Day. The important thing to remember here, no tsunami warning for any of those quakes, no damage. Typically not felt on land, but man, that's a lot of quakes kind of rocking and rolling offshore off the northern tip of Vancouver Island. There was a small quake yesterday uh, in Washington State as well. Now, earlier this week, I spoke to an expert about all of these quakes, Mika McKinnon. She's a geophysicist and a disaster researcher. She's based in North Van. And I asked her about whether we should be concerned with all these small quakes. Is that a sign of the big one? Is that, like, I start wondering, like, is that building up to something bigger, or do earthquakes work like that? So earthquakes, you can kind of think about being like a pile of puppies. And when one of them (laughs) shifts and smacks the other, they shuffle and move around. And most of the time, they just kind of settle back down. But every now and then, one puppy smacks another on the nose, and they all erupt into chaos. So we never really know with earthquakes. We know that the stress is redistributing, but we can't actually tell whether or not it's going to turn into something larger or not. So right now, this is looking just kind of like the plates are a little bit restless. Everything's shuffling around a little bit. Uh, There are a cluster of them right next to each other. So to me, that looks like the stress from one fault moved and that locked end just kind of overtips the next one over and it reshuffled and everything's kind of redistributing and getting getting resettled, but we won't really know if there's going to be something bigger or not until some time passes. So then either something happened or it didn't. Right. Okay. So when you get a sort of a cluster of them like that, of a series of smaller ones, 5.2, 5.6, 5.8, it is safe to say they're they're probably related to each other? These ones are definitely, they're right on top of each other, and they're right about the same depth. They're all about 10 kilometers depth. And if looking at, so the entire surface of the Earth is a bunch of tectonic plates, and we usually think about we're, we're on the North America plate, and then there's the Pacific plate come crashing towards us. But in between the two, right off the coast of Vancouver Island, is the Juan de Fuca plate. And these are all happening right in the north tip of the Juan de Fuca plate. And it's probably some sort of interaction happening there. Um, of, of fairly deep down, so maybe the plate is caught up a little bit and it's buckling and grinding a little bit. Everything is moving about the same rate your fingernails grow, so we do expect to have, we have about 5,000 earthquakes a year in Canada. We don't feel most of them. We only feel about one a week, about 50 of them. Um, so, yeah, it's happening, but it's it's frequently happening. Okay, so nothing to worry about them like this is not a sign that oh my god like the big one is imminent or anything like that well hopefully not but i mean we do live in a, an active tectonic zone we do do expect to have earthquakes yes. uh this particular area has had it had a magnitude six and a half last year um it's had a couple of sixes and sevens over the last century uh but thankfully it's underneath the ocean and fairly far offshore so nobody is feeling anything and they're side-to-side motion on this particular set, so they're not generating tsunami, which is great. But I always see it any time we've got this sort of activity, it's a good reminder of, are you ready for earthquakes? Um, Do you have a pair of shoes under the edge of your bed? Are your bookcases attached to your wall? Um, My favorite bit, particularly this time of year, do you know your neighbors? If things go really wrong, they're your first responders. Do you know who they are, and can you, like, help them with their kids, or can they help you find your pet? You know, invite them over, get to know them. That's some disaster preparedness. 
Okay, so it's a good excuse for throw a Christmas party, maybe then. Exactly. Happy holidays. We live in a seismic <laughs> zone. There's some earthquakes going on. Let's all live. Okay. Okay. Uh, we just got about a minute left here or so, Mika. So when you talked about are you are you prepared? Every time one of these happens, I think a lot of us it goes through our mind. Okay, I better make sure I have a kit. I've got a plan. Maybe I update that kit. What are some of the the critical elements that you should have in that plan or, and your earthquake kit? Anything is better than nothing. I see a lot of people who panic and freeze and go, well, I don't have the time or the money to get everything done. When we survey people about their preparedness, the biggest hindrances are I'm broke, I'm lazy, and I have no space. So doing anything is better than nothing. Even if you just think about things as a little bit more preparedness, uh, ideally you want to be able to take care of yourself for up to three days. Uh, right. Because it might take us some time to get all of our response in gear. Do you have some food you can prepare without any electricity? Right. Do you have water on hand? Okay. But to me, it's, do you have shoes under the edge of the bed? So if there's an earthquake and everything falls over, you're not going to slice your feet up trying to get anywhere. Mm. Do you know your neighbors so you can help each other out? All right. Mika, thank you for that. Absolutely. Have a fantastic holiday. All right, that was Mika McKinnon, and she is a geophysicist and disaster researcher. She's based in North Van. Let's check in now with Keith Baldry, Global News Bureau Chief at the Legislature. Keith, thanks for coming in. Happy Boxing Day. Same to you, sir. Uh, you getting out there bargain hunting or hitting the malls or no, what? I avoid the malls like a plague <laughs> on Boxing Day. I'm the, uh, the poster boy for the non-shopper at this time of year. Okay, you and me both. Okay, <laughs> um, let's talk a little politics and stuff that's yeah. going on. First of all, the ride-hailing thing. You know, I used to love talking about ride hailing, and now it's kind of like, oh, man, are we ever going to get these services? All, all we ever do is talk about it. Yeah. That's what actually happened. Well, here's the, here's the deal, though. This is a government that promised over and over again that we were going to have these services by Christmas. Christmas has come and gone. Yep. Uh, they have not delivered. Is this a problem for Horgan? Well, this is a promise they reluctantly made. I don't. I've you and I have talked about this before. Right hailing is not part of the the NDP's political DNA. It's a it's a non union, low paying, part time occupation. It's the gig gig economy. Uh, it's unregulated for a large part. The NDP doesn't historically doesn't really. Uh, Horgan probably wishes he didn't have to deal with it at all. Yeah, I've never detected a lot of enthusiasm by the government to embrace this industry. I think it's well established the the taxi industry, the entrenched taxi industry, is politically powerful. In Metro Vancouver, where you know the election is won and lost on a few suburban ridings, and that's where the taxi industry is mo most uh, powerful. So the NDP has punted this entire issue off on into the lap of the obscure, little-known Passenger Transportation Board, which nobody even knew existed until ride-hailing came along. They, yeah. they were in the business of okaying and approving taxi licenses. Right. They've got a small staff. Uh, it's Christmas time. Presumably, a number of people are off. They cannot process these applications, one assumes, that are there from Uber and Lyft in any timely fashion which is why I think it was a, an unreasonable uh, promise to make that thinking this was going to be up and running before Christmas because I just don't think the resources are there to well, ensure that. Well, how is it unreasonable when he's been promising it for three years? Well, like he said, we get it in 2017, then we get it in 2018, and then we get well, it in Well, I think it was unreasonable on their part to, to give this mirage that this could be done before Christmas because they just don't have the resources to pull this off. I don't think there was ever in the game plan uh, to get this thing done. I think they miscalculated uh, what a big deal this was going to be to actually create. I mean, they've got 
they've okayed uh, the board's okay to license in into Fino, you know, okay. and Whistler. Yeah, and that's Whistler. the whist. It's yeah. called the Whistle app. Exactly. Yeah, um, it's not going to be operating in the Lower Mainland. No, we're not going to see hundreds of Uber or Lyft drivers out there anytime yeah. soon. The Class Four license requirement, uh, even to get your Class Five, if you're a young driver, it takes a long time. Yeah, and you just don't snap your fingers and have this thing done overnight. So this is going to be a process that's going to continue into the new year, which is why I think it's one of those issues that so we end 2019 with, and it's still going to be very much a big political issue in 2020. Do you think there's any possibility? I think this this board that you mentioned, this passenger transportation board, is supposed to operate independently of yeah. government, yeah. but it's been under a lot of pressure from government as well, suggesting to them, for example, ooh, we're worried about Carmageddon mm-hmm. and traffic gridlock if there's too many ride-hailing vehicles on the street. Do you think that this board could surprise Uber and Lyft and bring in some caps or limits on the number of vehicles they're going to allow to be licensed. Oh, yeah. They had had earlier indicated to be no limit, but I wonder if they're having a rethink on that. I don't think anything's off the table here with the Passenger Transportation Board. I think they're probably going to uh, flex their independence here on a number of issues, knowing that at the end of the day, their master government here is really not... I mean, this is not an issue that's near and dear to the NDP. It's not like solving the housing crisis or, or even improving transit or doing a number of things that they like to do, social service improvements, that type of thing. Uh, ride-hailing, I just don't think, is in the top 10 of the NDP's priorities. The the Liberals continue to heap scorn on the NDP government for failing to deliver on this, but I, I always, you know, Where I almost kind of gag in a little bit. Exactly. I mean, they had so many years to do this themselves, and they were obedient to this taxi lobby exactly. as well. So, uh, I mean, I, I think in some ways the Liberals are kind of enjoying watching the NDP struggle with this yeah especially if they think that if the taxi industry really is that powerful in surrey and they can swing a few ride and burn and swing a few ridings back into the liberal uh, column in the next election i mean is that possible well, that- sure I, I think I think uh, those suburban ridings were won by fairly narrow margins by right. the NDP and by the Liberals before that. I mean, these are swing ridings. They go back and forth between the parties. And the next election has every uh, prospect of shaping up to be a very close result again. Yeah. And it, it could literally come down to three or four ridings in Metro Vancouver that may determine who forms government in Victoria. And the taxi industry, I think, is uh, disproportionately powerful in a number of those ridings. Let's talk about some of the other hot issues here as the, as the year draws to a close. The one that we talked about a lot in 2019, ICBC and the continuing problems there. The government lost a big court case on this file in 2019 when they tried to bring in a limit on the amount of expert testimony allowed in these ICBC court cases to drive down costs. The trial lawyers were mad as hell about it. They won in court. The government had to that whole thing was quashed. Yep. Government says that's going to cost them a lot of money, hundreds of millions of dollars potentially. So the ICBC dumpster fire, as EB, David Eby famously call it, still burning. How big of a problem is this for the government here? Oh, I think it's right up there as one of their biggest problems because yeah. it has a potential impact on a number of levels. It could turn the budget into a deficit. ICBC was supposed to uh, carve off a billion dollars in expenses or in terms of losses this fiscal year. Uh, there's no sign they're going to do that. You mentioned that court case they lost. David Eby puts the price of that loss in court to more than $400 million. For some reason, they want to book it all in one year. Uh, But he admits that if they lose another case, which is a a limit on soft tissue, uh, soft uh, tissue, Payouts. Awards, yeah. uh, he says basically, if they lose these cases, he uses the word uh, 
catastrophe to describe what the impact could be because it could just really wreck ICBC's bottom line and therefore the provincial government's bottom line. So this is one of the biggest headaches the NAP faces, I think, in the coming year because there's no sign they're on top of this thing. I mean, they're making some progress on some fronts, but the last fiscal update we got from the government, uh, no reason to cheer there from the ICBC financial picture. Yeah, another another vulnerability for the government on that one is another cost-cutting move that EB had brought in was moving ICBC cases out of the Supreme Court yeah. of BC and into these civil resolution tribunals, as they're called, so out of court and into these tribunals, that's another one where the trial lawyers are suing them. Yeah. And if they lose that one, I mean, there's two more court cases looming here that they could lose that could cost them a lot of money. Well, and more than one lawyer has pointed out, uh, I think, that uh, he's basically trying to wrest a whole bunch of business out of the court system and telling the courts how to behave. And judges don't like that. I mean, they don't like to hear that type of stuff. So he's up against a pretty entrenched uh, group there, not just lawyers, but judges as well, who who sort of, I think, uh, look askance at any uh, politician telling them how to behave and how to act in that court system. So he's got a big uh, obstacle and big hurdles to clear here, and I'm not convinced he's going to get over them. I think one indicator of just how dangerous the whole situation is politically for the government came when David Eby, a couple of weeks ago, basically delayed a a new rate hike yeah. ask for to by ICBC saying hang on a sec let's not go into a new rate system here or a new rate increase in the new year let us do some more work here is is that an in- i thought for sure that man that just shows they're worried here i think they're worried about people getting walloped yeah. with a big icbc rate hike in 2020 that could really hurt them well you know you've got a, a series of governments you go back to glenn clark in 1996 uh, on the eve of the provincial election he froze icbc rates yeah. he was mr freeze it was yeah. politically popular it's not a good pu- public policy uh endeavor but it never makes sense uh, politically opposition parties today always criticize governments for doing that the liberals kept icbc rates artificially low by dipping into the reserves and not passing on the real cost to the consumer and I think the NDP is going to find itself right against the wall here, just like the Liberals were, that it's one thing to say from a public policy point of view, you should be paying more for your auto insurance. It's quite another thing to say, we want to be reelected and we want you to pay more for your auto insurance. The two don't, don't go together, which is why I, see, I think you're going to see the NDP monkey with rates as well, just yeah. like the Liberals did before them. I think you're right. And another big problem for the government is this continuing problems in the BC forest industry. Oh, what a mess. And especially this strike on Vancouver Island that... Toward the end of the year here, Premier John Horgan was signaling very clearly that he wanted that strike uh, resolved. It's going on six months now, 3,000 people mm-hmm. out of work, lots of spin-off damage in the economy on sort of central north Vancouver Island. He wanted it fixed. It hasn't been fixed. Nope. What's going on with that? So the latest was the Labor Minister, Harry Baines, has written a letter to both both parties here, both sides in the dispute, pointing out that uh, the mediators that were involved here, Vince Reddy and Amanda Rogers, who are professional mediators and very good track records. Everybody knows yeah. Vince Reddy's the miracle worker. But they had been hired by the company and the union to try to resolve this dispute. Baines has now notified them he wants those mediators to report to him on right. what's going on in the talks. Right. That provides a little glimmer of hope that now if Baines is made aware of what the, what's really 
really going on there and not taking one side over the other, but listening to someone like Vince Reddy, perhaps he can pressure one of these one of the sides who he who Reddy may think is not doing enough to settle this dispute to actually get in the game and make some concessions to from either the company or from the union. I'm I'm not sure who's most to blame here, but I think that's a glimmer of hope that wasn't there just a week ago. But having said that, they're still waiting for Vince Reddy to order the two sides back to the table because as it stands now, uh, he hasn't done that, which speaks to his view that there's no sense doing that right now because the two sides are firmly entrenched. The only thing Baines can do to end this uh, arbitrarily would be to pass legislation. There's nothing in the labor code that gives him the power to end a labor dispute. Only cooling off period, as we call it, uh, can only come through legislation. The House doesn't sit until second week of February, so we're still a ways away from that. Let's go to your calls now. Hi, Rod and Langley. Hey, guys. I think that the people in B.C. are pretty tired of paying exorbitant auto rates um, compared to other provinces. So, Keith, what's your assessment of the real reason that they won't let ICBC go and they won't let competition come in? Who are they protecting? Because we know the government doesn't do anything for the people. They strictly do things for themselves. So what's the real reason? Well, I think ICBC is basically a sacred cow to the NDP. This was a, a shining jewel when it started under Dave Bear, the 1970s government. Uh, so you look at things the NDP revere is sacrosanct. One of them is ICBC. Another one's the Agricultural Land Reserve. Another one's the BC Labor Code. Uh, these are near and dear to NDP hearts. So I don't see them privatizing auto insurance at all, ever, in this mandate, or if they win another mandate, or two or three. But I do think um, there's a fundamental crisis in the insurance industry. And it was first, you know, uh, Mike and I were just talking off air. The first guy who flagged this thing was the former Liberal-appointed chair of the board of ICBC, Barry Penner, the former Attorney General. I remember talking to him two years before the 2017 election, and he was saying, look, this is a problem in auto insurance. It's right across the country, and it's not confined to B.C. The cost of repairing an automobile is exorbitant. He was one of the first guys who told me that, you know, when you take a car and to fix it now... All these embedded computers yeah, and cameras and a bumper is that it's costing us a fortune. Yeah, one of, one of the EB's trying to get to the bottom of why our our uh, body shops costing yeah. so much more than they used to. It's not just electrical uh, fixes, which is a big component of it, but why does it cost so much more to fix a bumper of a Datsun than it did in in 1999? Because it's got it's a camera in it now. Yeah, so those are some of the challenges ICBC is facing. So I don't think it's confined to the fact whether it's public or private uh, caller. I think it's uh, more endemic to the the industry. Itself. Well, here's another another reason is there's over five thousand employees at ICBC, oh, and they're really? all members of a union. Yep. And uh, this is a very union allied government. There's no way they're gonna, no, you know, privatize some crown corporation with five thousand. Exactly. Union Very members. good point. Uh, no, another reason why it will never be privatized under NDP's watch. I'm not convinced the Liberals are going to go that route themselves. I mean, I think this is a, a more to it than just public versus private. 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 on your cell. Mark in Vancouver. Hi. Yes, the government should do what it needs to to reform ICBC. Any legislation should uh, attached to it should have the notwithstanding clause and that will with, will override the judges which i think are too high-handed here yeah well that's interesting i don't see that happening though the notwithstanding 
clause isn't really. What can the government do though to fix this? It's it's, uh, they're getting shut down on a number of fronts. If they lose this case about limiting payouts on soft tissue, and I'm not convinced they will. I mean, I've talked to other lawyers who say, look, it Alberta does that. Well, other jurisdictions. Penner, uh, I was going to say David Eby, the Attorney General, has said he's more confident of winning these these other cases that are still before the courts than he was about the one they lost. The one, the one of limiting uh, expert witnesses, that was a bit of a risky. Even internally, I'm told they didn't think they were going to win that from the get go. I still understand why he's booked four hundred million dollars of a loss in one. I remember talking to EB the day before that they lost that case. He hadn't seen the judgment yet. <laughs> I said, "Are you worried about this uh, this judgment tomorrow?" And he said, "Yeah, <laughs> I am." And I thought, "Oh, that's it. They're going to yeah. lose." Uh, one of the most revealing comments David EB's made on this entire thing uh, about a month ago. He's on Linda Steele's show. And yeah. Linda was asking him, you know, some tough questions. And you could hear the exasperation coming from E.B. And he said, look, yeah. I did not get into politics to run an auto insurance company, which <laughs> speaks volumes because that's exactly right. I mean, E.B. is very an idealistic reformer of the justice system. It's not about public auto insurance. And this thing is just proving to be a bigger headache than he can solve. Is this a good issue for the liberals? I mean, anytime you try to pin the liberals down, and they love to heap scorn on the government over this whole debacle at ICBC. But then when you ask them, well, what would you do to fix it. They say, well, we'll review it. The only you know, they don't want to say specifically what no. they would do. I, I think where the liberals would benefit, just like any opposition party benefits from any issue, the government is always tagged with the blame. Uh, the voters can take out their anger, usually on a government. They don't take it out on an opposition party. So that's where I think the liberals might benefit. But you're right. They won't. It's like nailing jelly to the wall here with the liberals. They haven't got a firm position on what to do either. Okay, what else is big in 2020? We just got a minute left. Here. Well, we got the BC Teachers Federation contract. Okay, what's still, going on there? I still think we're looking at job action sometime this year, either the end of the current school year or the beginning of the next school year. Because I just a strike. Don't see th- you think it'll be a strike in 2020? Uh, I, I hate to say yes, but I think uh, at some point the TF's going to do something because I just don't see this thing being resolved at uh, the at the negotiating table. And there's no end in sight for the forestry crisis. It's not just the strike here on Vancouver Island. You've got mill closures that are going to be pr- that are permanent up and down. The the interior at the north of BC. It's a fundamental restructuring of what used to be BC's number one industry. And a lot of towns and a lot of people are going to be hurting as a result. You think it's a tough year coming up for John Horgan? I think it's tougher than it has been because yeah. uh, he's got uh, a worsening economy. It's yeah. going to be, he hasn't got a lot of dollars to play with. Carol James's budget's going to be very tight when we see it in February. Uh, he's uh, hinted very strongly to me that he's going to shuffle his cabinet. We'll see if oh, that yeah. happens sooner than later. Thanks for coming in. All right. That's Keith Baldry. He's the Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News.